Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to start a new series today called The Beatitudes. Say The Beatitudes. We can even space it, The Beatitudes, right? You've heard that before, I'm sure. How do we be in life? How do we operate? How do we function in life? But, you know, over the last several months, sometimes I'll be drawn to a certain portion of Scripture, and I'll really start to, to dig into it and, and pull out some of the original thought, intention, the history, the language. And, you know, for me, the, the, the Scripture has become more beautiful than it's ever been. Like, I have this craving to study the Bible, not because God said I better or else, but because I want to really know that I know that I know who God truly is. And so through this, it has really blessed me. One thing you'll find many times is, is a preacher or a pastor will kind of speak from their own journey and their own experience. Uh, any of you who have spoken, that's, that's the best way to do it because then it's authentic and it's real. And so for me, as I began pouring through this and digging into it, um, this is really a famous portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Anyone heard of the Sermon on the Mount? And so we call it the Beatitudes, and I want to take the next few weeks and, and talk about these, these Beatitudes, these statements. And like most things in Scripture, I believe that there's something much deeper, something that kind of lies below the surface, and maybe it's more than just what we, what we read maybe uh, Tuesday morning for a devotional. And not that that's wrong. Take your Tuesdays, your Wednesdays, your Thursdays, do your devotions. But sometimes it's so easy just just read this English Bible and kind of just not quite get below the surface of it. And so I want to do that here in the next few weeks. The Beatitudes are, are definitely something, I believe, as you read them and as we dig into them, that can really turn your world upside down. And that's what Jesus really did. If you notice that in the life of Jesus, that he would say things and do things, and it would totally turn things upside down. People would not understand where he's coming from. Why are you doing it this way? Jesus, we have a particular pattern of how we do things, and you're not fitting that pattern. And it would actually irritate some people, but then others would be um, brought into that. It would be something that would captivate them to say, wow, there's something about Jesus. In fact, the scripture tells us that they would be baffled because there was power in his words. There was something about what Jesus said. And so I think that the words that Jesus said over 2,000 years ago are just as important here in the 21st century. How about you? And so we're going to dig into that. I'm really excited about what we're going to do. And so my plan is over the next four weeks is I want to go over two of these beatitudes, two of these statements a week, if time allows, and let's see where it takes us. Amen? So let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You can follow along on the screens, pretty simple, um, but you also can follow along on the Version Bible app. If you have the Bible app, you can open that up. You go to the More tab, and you'll see a, a, a row of uh, selections. Uh, hit Events. And once you uh, hit that events tab, it should open up, and you should see us right there, Face City, Michigan campus. But the notes are there for you. You can take your own. You can save it for further reference, which I encourage you to do. We're starting today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying... Here we go, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many have heard this before? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who what? Who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, when you just read over the surface, it sounds religious, it sounds okay, but if you, then, then you take another step you know, back and you look, you're like, well, what is Jesus saying? Poor in spirit and those who mourn. That doesn't really make sense. And so what I want to do as we dig into this, before I get into these couple statements, I want to look at one of the words that's, that's so important. And, and I want us, I'm probably going to remind us every single week about this, but there's a word that begins each of these statements. What's the word? Bless. That's funny you said that, Bruce. You know, it's funny. You said blessed, right? I just noticed as I was telling Christmas yesterday, I said, why is it I say blessed in normal day life, but when I read this, even to myself, I'm going, blessed are the poor. Blessed? Anyway, that's free too. You guys are getting all kinds of freebies today. You're welcome. But we have the word blessed, or as Bruce would say, blessed. Sounds a little more spiritual. But it's interesting because the word blessed, it really sets up each and every statement. All eight of these statements, all eight of these Beatitudes start with the word blessed. It's, it's like Jesus wants people to know right away that they have the opportunity to be blessed right where they are. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. The word blessed is actually the Greek word makarios. Say makarios. It means supremely blessed, fortunate, and well-off. It actually means happy. Happy are the ones. But what's really interesting, when you really dig into this, this word makarios actually spoke of an island of that time in an actual place. It was the island of Cyprus. You could actually just go online and do a search, an online search for this Greek word and for the island, and you will literally get tons of articles that come up about this. But basically, here's what they say. The Greek word for blessed is makarios, and it was the name of an island off of Greece. Now listen to this. It was known as the blessed island or the happy island. Now, people at the time hearing Jesus speak would have known about this island, and they would have said, oh, I know what Jesus is talking about, the, the happy island. Do you know the reason it was called the happy island? Because it was self-contained. If you lived on this island, the residents never had to leave the island in order to get their needs met. The island offered everything that they needed. The natural resources of this blessed or the happy island were so thick and rich and fruitful and so productive that everything they needed to enjoy their lives was already built in. Come on, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? See, Jesus doesn't mince words. Jesus is intentional when he speaks. And so when you start to wrap your head around the history and the idea and even the original words and what Jesus is saying, listen to this, the inhabitants of that island, they were self-sustained. They were without need of having to go to another island or to the mainland. Now, let me say this. If I were to say the Virgin Islands, does anyone get a picture of that immediately? If I say the Hawaiian Islands, does anyone get a picture of that immediately? So me like, I can picture myself right now on the beach. Of course. Now, has every one of us been there? No. But we still, when someone mentions it, so even for these people at the time, when Jesus mentioned this, they get this mental picture. Because let's be honest, they probably couldn't afford to go to this island, but they knew that that was the happy island. So right off the bat, 
I want us to see that Jesus is saying to the people, everything you need for happiness, contentment, peace, and joy is self-contained. Look at the person next to you and say, it's already within you. Regardless of what's happening externally, independent of the circumstances we're going through. Oh, hey, Jessica, how are you? And she's so good, I forget she's there. And then I'm like, I better slow down a little bit for her. But think about this. No matter what the external circumstances, happiness and joy are self-contained. We can be truly happy internally. We can be genuinely blessed as followers of Christ. I mean, what a beautiful statement. Isn't that awesome? And so just to start off each statement, for the people at the time that Jesus was speaking to, and I believe for even us here and now, it's a reminder. Every time you say the word blessed, I want you to think of a happy island. If someone says, are you blessed? Say, happy island, that's mine. Come on, somebody. That's, for now on, you're like, thanks, pastor. Every time I hear blessed now, I think of a happy island, and I want to go there. But I want you to think even deeper. I want you to think about the fact that everything you need for life and godliness, including joy and happiness, contentment, peace, all those things, they're already contained within. You'll see a running theme here at Faith City. We're not trying to get blessed by God. He's already blessed us with all things for life and godliness. We're not trying to get peace. We're not trying to get healing. We're not trying to get these things. We don't have to earn them. Uh, There's no special deed or good deed we can do. It's something that you already are. Say it again. Say to yourself, it's within me. Hallelujah. So with that in mind, I wanted to set that up so we can get started on this. Let's get started with the first statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this really mean? Say poor in spirit. Uh, probably one of my top authors to read is Pastor Brian Zond. He just has some beautiful work out there. It's really challenged my mind a lot on, on how I see God, how I see this world. And he actually puts some really beautiful perspective into this statement when he says, as far as a statement, it could mean that blessed are those, listen to this, who are not naturally gifted at being spiritual. Now, I want us to think about this for a minute because when he preached this to his congregation some time ago, he said that it was one of the most received messages in terms of how the people responded to it. Because it really took the pressure off. Because here's the thing, if you haven't been in church for a while, and maybe this is a good thing as far as what this can cause, sometimes in the church world, we think that the most spiritually gifted or the elite are those who are on the church staff. Those who are up here in the limelight, you know, whether they're preaching, they're singing, whatever they do. And so sometimes we can almost put people on a pedestal, which is not a good thing. Because the only one that we should put up and above is Jesus. Come on. But I get it. I understand. People do this even in the world. We put certain figures, political or sports figures, on a pedestal. But what happens when those people fall? Sometimes we lose faith ourselves because it's in the wrong thing. But in church, a lot of times we can look at the the spiritually gifted elite as those people, right? Those who know the the Bible front to back. You ever seen those? Like, man, he knows. He doesn't just know the scripture. He knows like the address. Does anyone know what that means? 
like it's Romans 6, 2, or it's, right? He knows exactly where it is. And so somehow we almost separate ourselves and we feel like we're less than, and maybe we are that poor in spirit. And, and you know, when you, you think about how Jesus handled this and how, even saying this, I think it's interesting. I mean, he almost, in some ways, would take a shot at religion or the religious elite of that day who would often look down their noses at somebody who maybe they saw as less than who they were. And if we were to be honest, even if we look at the example of Christ, he backed up his words by calling. Think about the disciples whom he called. They were the poor in spirit, right? These were the ones who, who maybe didn't train in the temple. They weren't the religious elites, right? They were the craftsmen and the fishermen, and he even had a zealot and a tax collector in his crew. I mean, do you see, do you see where I'm going with this? So Jesus practiced what he preached. And once again, Jesus turns everything on its head. What was normal in that culture was the truly blessed, those who we see as truly blessed are those who are rich in spirit. You know, those who got it, those who, who understood spiritual things. And Jesus turned the tables and he says, no, those aren't the ones. In fact, the ones who I believe will access the kingdom are the ones who are overlooked, the ones who don't measure up. Think about the crew that Jesus hung with. The religious got so irritated at Jesus because he's the one who welcomed who we could call the poor in spirit. And they're the ones who were able to take ownership of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not talking about who's going to heaven or not. I'm talking about the kingdom of God that's within us. They're able to access it. And then if you look a little bit further, because, you know, as I was studying this, I got this word in, in my head, and I started digging in. And if you look at Isaiah, he was a prophet from the Old Testament. He speaks of being, some of you are probably familiar, of being poor and contrite. Of spirit, But that word poor in the Hebrew literally means humble. It's having a sense of humility. It speaks this idea of being humble and realizing, guess what? You don't know it all. You don't have it all down. You see, it's, it's only those who come to Jesus with true humility. It's when we humble ourselves. This is what I found in my, in my walk. This is my personal journey. When we humble ourselves and realize that we don't, know everything. We don't have the market cornered on truth and spirituality. See, this is the problem sometimes, in, in, and I don't mean to harp on Western religion, but for some reason, we think our denomination, our certain section of people have the market cornered on truth and spirituality, but the truth is we all have a piece of the pie. And it would do us really well to sometimes be quiet and listen. I've been getting that a lot. You, you notice that? I kind of go through these phases. Quick to hear. Put an ear out there. Don't be formulating a response. Just listen. Yes. So maybe it's my personal journey, but I just feel like there's something, especially about this time that we live in. We need to take time and listen to people. Because it's in these moments that we're open, I believe, to receive from the Spirit of Grace. And to receive an understanding that may honestly surpass those who put hundreds and thousands of hours into prayer and study. Not that those things are wrong, but listen, when we're open to spirit, it can move things along. You can start to see things you never saw before. Because here's the thing, sometimes when we have that much head knowledge, 
you know, that much education. My dad would say education. We become unteachable because we think we know it all. I never want to be in that place. Are there times where I, I stumble and I, I, I find myself in that spot? Yes, yes. But it's, it's getting easier to go, wait, wait, wait. I don't have the market cornered on this. I need to listen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me say it like this. It's keeping you in a mode of openness to hear spirit, to receive a fresh word. The scripture calls it a rhema word and to see things in a different way. Blessed are those, I said it again, blessed. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We could say humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. I think a perfect example of this, just, we just talked about the followers of Jesus. How many know that Peter and John were two of Jesus' disciples? In fact, they were probably, they were in that close-knit like group of three. Peter, James, and John were, were the tightest with Jesus. And there was one point in Acts chapter 4, where, or 3 and 4, where we see they're going about, they're, they're doing miracles, they're preaching the gospel, there's signs and wonders following and all this great stuff's going on, and they're probably like, yes, man, we finally figured out Jesus, so it's great. And then they found themselves in prison. They're like, okay, wait, I'm going to rethink my choices here. Did I do something wrong? But the next day, they found themselves in front of these religious leaders. And look at this in Acts 4.13. This is just cool little stuff we can pull out on this. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, these are religious leaders. These are people we would say were rich in spirit right? They understood the scriptures. They could probably break down the law and the prophets and tell you frontward and backward how it was. This is who they were standing in front of. And listen what it says. And they perceived that they were, talking about Peter and John, unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they're looking at these guys and they're going, "Um, we know these guys, How is it that they're performing miracles, and how is it that they make this much sense? In fact, the Greek word for ignorant here is the word idiotes. They were calling them idiots. That's where we get our word idiot. Isn't that fun? Isn't original original language awesome? What mature religious leaders. They're looking at them, wow, they look pretty unlearned, and, and they're idiots. They're just idiots, I can tell by the look on their face. They were looked down upon because to these religious leaders, they were poor in spirit. They were ignorant. They were fools. They were idiots. Yet here's the thing about about these disciples. They were humble enough that they received this message of the gospel with signs and wonders following. See, Jesus had a way. That's why if you're here today and you're thinking, man... When I read this, it honestly gives me so much hope. When I see who Jesus called as his disciples, when I see the idiots that he called, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But come on, has anyone ever felt like that? Like, I'm out out of my, like, realm. Like, that's above my pay grade, right? These different sayings that we use. How could could God use me in that situation? How could God, you know, uh, have me participate in the gospel message in these things? This is why. And so it gives me a hope because no matter what I've come from, no matter my social status, what I'm going through, what I've been through, the problems I've had in life, even the sin I've dealt with or addiction as I'm going through those things, God has called me and no one can change that calling on my life. Come on, somebody. 
It's so good. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. It says, blessed are those who mourn. Say mourn. I love it continues here, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What I've noticed, especially in our current society, is that we avoid mourning. We avoid pain. I mean, if, if you look really at, you know, there's some, there's some blessings. I mean, you know, my, my, uh, my youngest grandson was uh, playing football in the playground and fell, and someone fell on him, and he got a compound fracture. And so it was just, huh? Open, yeah, open compound fracture. It was, yeah, it was, when you see those things, that's tough, right, as a parent and grandparent, you know, and he, he immediately had to go into surgery. He's doing well, but he was in pain, right? But um, where's I going with that? I thought of my grandson. I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, pain, pain. So you know what's awesome is even, it wasn't awesome that he broke his arm. Let me just clarify that. But what's awesome is when he went into the hospital, they had some pain medications and things that could help him. So that's great that we'd advance that much. I, I love some of the Western first world things that we have. But here's the thing. In, in, in this culture, in the first world culture, it's one of the most self-medicating cultures in the entire world. And so what was meant to help maybe soldiers on the battlefield or people who have been in catastrophic, you know, accidents or thing, things, now we've turned to prescription drugs and for some street drugs, excessive alcohol, pornography, binge watching Netflix and Hulu, like you name it, anything, the list goes on and on and on. We're looking for ways to avoid pain. What are you saying, Pastor. I'm saying that sometimes we need to embrace the pain. Would you preach something happy, Pastor? We're in church on Sunday. Yeah, I get it. But here's the thing. We have to embrace the pain. When we bury pain, grief, and mourning, it doesn't help. It hurts us. And so even though the culture has come to the point where it avoids pain at all costs, even to its own detriment, we can choose a different way. I want us to think about even the time frame that Jesus is in here, who he's speaking to. He's speaking to a people that were suffering under Roman Empire, under Roman occupation, heavy taxation, mistreatment. I mean, the Romans just saw them as Jewish dogs. They were, they were not even fully human. Come on, how, how many races have experienced that through history? And so they were looked down upon, and so they're in this time of mourning and pain. And we even talked about over Christmas, there was this anticipation for the Messiah. They wanted to be free from the oppression. They wanted to be free from not just the, the mental, but even the physical pain that they were experiencing under this Roman Empire. And what we learned, especially here in contemporary times, is that mourning is important in order to create space for comfort. It's actually necessary to create space for comfort. Is this the funnest thing to teach and preach? Nope. But I'm telling you, from experience, it works. It's part of the process. 
I know we're not led by our feelings, but sometimes we've quoted that scripture out of context to mean we don't feel feelings. The truth is we feel the feelings, but it's a process to go through in order to come through, like Christmas said, to the other side. And there's this place, this space that's created for comfort and for healing. But again, many of us, we avoid grief, right? We, we avoid pain because grief isn't fun. I like to say like this, it's, it's both beautiful and it's brutal. It's beautiful because it's a process that will make us stronger and eventually bring comfort, but it's brutal because it's not easy to go through. I would say almost everyone here has experienced something like this in their life. And because we feel uncomfortable with pain, we oftentimes we don't give ourselves permission to feel or space to feel. And so it's imperative that we allow time to mourn without the pressure, listen to me, without the pressure of people saying, just get over it. You'll be okay. Just cheer up. Everything's going to be fine. Listen, I know and I understand that people have good intentions when they say these things. But, but listen, next time someone's in mourning or grief, let me just help you out. It's not helpful. And I know it's a human thing. You know, when I first started officiating funerals, I was terrified. You know why? I didn't know what to say. Now, I get it. I had to say something when I'm doing the funeral. But I also had to meet with the family. Sometimes family I knew. And many times families I didn't know. And this might sound kind of weird, but... I actually look forward to getting those calls from a funeral home who says, I have a family. I'm like, yeah, what's, what's going on? They don't have a pastor. And I feel like you're the one that can minister to them. And it's never easy. But here's what I found. The thing I was most terrified of was, what am I going to say? What do I say to them? And I found out the best thing to do sometimes is say nothing. To be there. A smile. A hug. Doesn't mean I haven't said encouraging words. But see, I was always like, okay, I got to say something that's got to be spiritual. Do I wrap a scripture verse in there? No, no, no. Stop with all that, Andrew. Stop with all that. Just be there for the family. Be there through their pain. The most important thing, have an ear to listen. Hear their story. And here's the thing. When you listen and you begin to hear that story, it begins to bring empathy. You begin to practice empathy. You begin to understand where they're coming from and, and what they're dealing with. And in those moments, guess what? Then the words come, the right words in season, the right words at the right time. In his book, Beauty Will Save the World, it's, a, it's an awesome book if you want to read it and get brutally challenged also on some of your ideas. Uh, Pastor Brian Zahn speaks specifically to this attitude. And here's what he says. This is so powerful. He says, it is the work of grief that space and depth are created. Space and depth that could be filled with something other than an entertainment-induced coma of self-containment. If we remain a stranger to sorrow, it is virtually impossible to have compassion for others. 
Isn't that true? In your own life, have you noticed if someone's going through, especially a specific pain or a grief or sorrow that you've gone through, how much easier is it to go, I don't know what they're feeling, but I get it. Now, sometimes the best thing to do, just a little side note on that, is not say, because this is a tendency, this happened, oh, I know exactly what you're saying, and then all of a sudden we dominate the conversation about everything we went through. That's not the time. What I'm saying, though, is when we've gone through it, we have an empathy. We have a compassion for people who are going through these things. And it's in those moments we can have an ear to listen and know their pain and even be praying for them. You know, praying doesn't have to always be out loud, right? We can be praying for them. We can be for them. We can be that ear. We can be that smile. We can be that hug. And this is just the beauty of how Scripture is written. He goes on to talk about the book of Isaiah and the book of Lamentations. Anyone here heard of these two books? And so we have Isaiah, of course, written by the prophet Isaiah. Lamentations is believed to be written by the prophet Jeremiah. And there's a lamenting that's involved. But for most of us, when you read the Bible, and, you know, I remember in children's church, you could, you, could, you know, recite it. Can you recite all the books of the Bible? And then I wish I would have known that. I'm like, so do you mean the current canon or the Catholic, you know, because there's a lot of different ones. But it was like the Protestant books of the Bible, and you could do them in order. And so when we read the Bible, a lot of us don't realize this, but do you know that the Bible, first of all, it's it, literally a meaning, and correct me if I'm wrong um, on this, but um, Tom, but doesn't the word Bible, doesn't it come from the Latin and it literally means library of books? So it's a library of books. So when you go to a library, what makes it a library? It has books. Okay, that's part of it. Wow, impressive. But how many notice they have sections? Right? So like if I want to really learn how to cook, and I'm just randomly going through and finding kids' books, I'm getting a little irritated right now. Well, I don't have to. I can go to the, remember in the old days they had those little, what were those, bibliot, what was it called? The, the Dewey system? We don't do that system anymore. It's all computer. <laughs> pretty good. I'm pretty quick. I'm all. But what we love about a library is if we want to go and find something specific or an author, it's in sections. The Bible is the same way. It's in sections. In fact, when it was originally written, it didn't have chapters and verses. But aren't you glad? Because if we had different Bibles, I'm like, hey, guys, somewhere around page 832, you're like, I'm not finding it, man. But we can go right to it. But here's the thing. It's not put together in chronological order. And so there's something really cool about this. If you look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has, anyone know how many chapters? 66. That was close. 66. It's only because I looked it up this morning. But 66. (laughs) See, I just have to be transparent. But listen, it's chapters 1 through 39 were written before the destruction of Israel in the Babylonian exile. All right? Get this. What's really interesting is the book of Lamentations was actually in between chapter 39 and 40. Because in chapter 40, this is, this is who I'm getting ahead of myself. I love this. So one, think about this. 1 to 39, it's before the destruction of... Can you imagine? We've been watching this series about World War II, and it's just... it's. It's literally blowing my mind. I mean, just these cities were reduced to rubble. 
Like that's why France left the city, so they wouldn't reduce it to rubble. They could you know, ha- keep some of the, the things that were you know, dear to them. But think about a city being completely reduced and destroyed, reduced to rubble. You go to this exile. Well, it was during the exile that Lamentations was written. And if you read through, it's just a lot of there is none to comfort, there is none to comfort, there is none to comfort. Now, probably the best thing to not say is, hey, buddy, it's going to pass. Just get over it, Jeremiah. What's your problem, man? You know, you know, he, you know, God has good plans, buddy. Well, at that point, I don't think he saw the good plans. But I want you to see this process. Isaiah chapter 1, the 39, it's before. So you don't see any of that lament. Suddenly, Jeremiah comes on the scene, and he's lamenting this exile and what they're going through, and they need comfort. Guess what? This is the process and the work of grief. This is how it works. This is the lament of loss. And this is the mourning that creates room for comfort. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 40. After the lament, the very first verse, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isn't that cool? And all we had to do was look at the chronological order of how things are written. This is a people who were trying to grapple with the idea of sorrow and grief. People who had to go through mourning, who who were looking for comfort, but they couldn't find it. But we see, guess what? They came through to the other side. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You know, there's something about the process of mourning and grief that leads to comfort that leads to healing, that leads to peace. Again, I deal with this a lot when I'm officiating a funeral. And one of the scriptures that I use most is Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's a really interesting scripture. I remember the first time I read this, I was like, what, wait, wait. You know, kind of like, what, what does it even mean? What, what is the writer trying to say here? I want to turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're bringing this to a close. But look what he says in verse 2. He says, it is better to go to a home where there is what? Mourning than to one where there is a... That don't make no sense. It is better to go to a home where there is mourning than the one there is... Now, let me ask you this. In current culture, what home do we want to go to? I'm going to drown my sorrows in that bottle. I'm going to drown my sorrows in just a good time with my friends. I mean, you know, it doesn't always have to be alcohol, guys. I'm just saying, like, what can we do to take our mind off what's really going on? And the writer says, he's old covenant. He doesn't know what he's talking about, right? It is better to go to a home where there is mourning than the one where there is a party. But look at this. He goes on. Because the living should always remind themselves that death is waiting for us all. Really happy verse, I know. Look at this, sorrow is better than laughter. It may sadden your face, but it sharpens your understanding. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? It's interesting that the writer is saying it's better to be in a place of mourning than that of a party. And, And I've learned the reason or some of the reasons why. Why is it better to be in a house of mourning? Because it's in these spaces that we learn to empathize and be present for others who are going through the same grief and pain. It's in these spaces where we learn this.
And we learn that many times words aren't necessary. In fact, they're the last thing that people really want to hear. They just want that smile, maybe that hug, uh, maybe, maybe just an ear to hear what they're saying. Because again, empathy is a practice. And it's in these spaces that we learn how to hear the stories of others and be there in the midst of grief and mourning. Imagine being in a group who got this, who understood this. You knew that you could come with any situation you're going through and open up your heart. And you know that they would be there to listen, be there to pray, be there for a hug. They're not going to say something like, just get better, or where's your faith? They're going to empathize with you. That's what I want Faith City to be. I want it to be a place of empathy. It doesn't mean we stay and wallow in that, but people have to process. Why? Because in the process of mourning, in the process of pain, it creates space for comfort. It creates space for healing. And in the second part of the verse, it encourages us, the living, to remind ourselves that death is a part of the process. And this is even part of what I would share in a eulogy. When we're in those spots, whether it's at a funeral or going through trouble with someone else, it makes you start to think about your own life. It should make us ask questions like, why am I here? Because we don't ask that question enough. Why am I here? Am I allowing the gifts and the kingdom within me to better others while I'm here on the earth? And then verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter. It may sadden your face. This is just awesome writing. This is poetry here. But it sharpens your understanding. I love this. It may sadden your face, but it sharpens your understanding. What a statement. In other words, even though you feel the pain, and even sometimes the pain is so strong that, that it shows up in our expression, we need to look to the fact that it also sharpens your mental understanding of the grieving process. It begins to teach you how to get through. What does it mean to be in mourning? What does it mean to receive comfort in a time of mourning? So this is for us if we're in mourning, and it's also for us if someone else is in mourning. Does that make sense? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what is Jesus saying to us here today with these two statements? I believe he's saying that true happiness, that self-contained happiness, that joy that's within, is accessed, first of all, when we're humble in spirit. When we, when we learn that we, that I guess, awaken to the fact that we don't know it all. We don't have the corner. We don't have the market cornered on truth and spirituality. There's others that, that maybe we should listen to and hear. Doesn't mean you don't have anything to say. But it's in that moment of humility, I believe the process opens us up to greater understanding. And then when we learn to process mourning and pain and sorrow and grieving, it's in those spaces that we both take ownership of the kingdom in us, but we also experience the comfort of God. How many would have thought there was that much material in two Beatitudes? Isn't that awesome? Will you stand with me? We'll continue this next week as well. We'll go through two more. Did you receive that today? Isn't that beautiful? There's just something about Jesus, man. I, 
That's why I do what I do. I just, I love Jesus because he first loved me. Just close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to think about the goodness of God. I want you to think about how much God loves you, how pleasing you are to him. And I already know that starts messing with us. It's like, well, well but, I, but I, there's no but I. You're pleasing to God because you exist, because you're a child of God. Become aware of that. And those things that you don't like, that you say and you do, you'll start to see those things change. But ultimately, you have to know that God loves you, cares for you, is pleased with you, and His grace is sufficient. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. It's, it's such a beautiful time where we can worship together. We can shake off some of the, the junk from the week, the things that we went through, the conversations, the, the reports that we've gotten. We don't ignore them. We don't sweep under the rug. But maybe this is a point where we can just recenter on the truth of who we are and whose we are. And that Jesus, you told us to start everything out by seeing the happiness and joy that we contain within. We are the happy island, no matter what's coming our way. And so we choose today to awaken to that, to see that, to step into that, to embrace that. Because it's ours. And through this process of, of learning I pray that we would, would be those who realize we don't know it all and be open to spirit. Be humble enough to realize we don't know it all. And then even in the process of mourning that we would learn to sometimes say, okay, I'm not gonna mask the pain. I'm not gonna self-medicate to make it go away. With your help, Heavenly Father, I'm gonna process this pain and create space for comfort and healing in my life. And not only will that help me in my own life to bring healing, it will help me when others are in the same situation to be that ear, to be that smile, to be that hug. It's in these moments we truly see the kingdom within. And we experience your comfort, Holy Spirit. We thank you for just your love and your grace for us. Just say, Heavenly Father, I receive your love. I receive your comfort. I receive your peace. It's mine. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.